0: Hello, and welcome to Public Key, the podcast from Chainalysis. This is your host, Ian Andrews. Encountering a software bug in production is never great. It could mean a broken feature or a bad user experience. But even for the most popular of apps, it's a problem you can recover from. But in Web3, the stakes are much higher. An error in a smart contract often leads to a loss of real value. We've seen multiple cases this year where hundreds of millions of dollars of cryptocurrency have been lost. So in this episode, I'm joined by the co-founders of Tenderly, the all-in-one development platform. Andre Bencic, the CEO, and Bogdan Habich, the CTO, explain how their platform is allowing developers easier access to Web3 and the ability to test, simulate, and gain real-time data in order to produce more efficient and less faulty code. Andre and Bogdan have been writing software their entire careers. And much of what you see in Tenderly was born out of the problems they saw when they first started out in crypto and encountered a massive developer experience gap. We also talk about their newest product, the Web3 Gateway, which puts them on a collision course with players in the node infrastructure market. For more on this topic and all things in crypto, start planning your trip to New York for the Chainalysis Links Conference, which is happening April 4th and 5th, 2023. I'm also sure your crypto bags are a little bit lighter than the last time we held this conference, so I've authorized 50% off tickets for a limited time. No special code required, just head to the link in the show notes but do it today because prices are going up soon today i'm joined by andre and bogdan from Tenderly, gentlemen you co-founded a company that is setting the world of web 3 development on fire hearing about you everywhere just launched some some new features i'm excited to get into all of that because my view and i came into crypto previously at a company called pivotal where we were building technology to basically drive developer productivity i think that that same cycle needs to play out, the world of Web3. So really excited to get into what what you all are building, how people are using using the technology stack where you see this space going. Maybe a question starting with you, Andre, like how did you get into this space? Looking at your profile, you're a developer by trade. What brought you to the world of blockchain?
1: Thanks for having us. We definitely resonate with some of your commentary on the overall state of de- developer experience. And yeah, looking at our background, you, you can pretty much see that all four of us have pretty similar engineering careers beforehand. And we have been, like to say that we sort of grew up in the cloud with all of the niceties and, and the ease of use that tooling around the cloud development has allowed us to move much more quickly than what we could see in the blockchain space. So we got into blockchain from that technological standpoint it was super interesting to us what you can do with blockchain and smart contracts as pieces of tech and then being engineers we were constantly looking for more better tools better developer ergonomy uh, stuff that could make our lives easier and make us a a little less frustrated that lowered the voice towards the screen when it comes to working with smart contracts so we decided to start working on tenderly and basically build the developer tools that we knew should exist uh, looking at previous uh, technologies we worked with and have slowly been at that job for now more than four years. So I feel we contributed a little bit towards that quality of life for Web3 engineers, but by no means we are stopping right now.
0: I'm fascinated. So you founded the company a little over four years ago. So so 2018 timeframe in a down market, if I remember the history, it was actually before I got into crypto. How does that compare to maybe the experience we've had here in, in 2022, where we went from the, the all time highs about 12 months ago to uh, the latest chaos happening in the market? What led you all to jump in and, and start a company in a, think a similar period of time in, in 2018?
1: Yeah, I would say it was much less strategy involved at that point. I guess we were just a bunch of people that uh, got excited about the technology and started building it. When that was all happening back in the day, it felt a lot more uncertain, (laughs) not experiencing it beforehand. But actually, you know, this time around, it does feel like there's a bunch of that same type of energy that existed in the last kind of quiet period that we are actually really excited about. So for us, it, you know, we don't really see the same type of scary news that you see when you look at cryptocurrencies on a, on a higher level, but actually the developer engagement and the people building in the space right now share many of the same qualities that we've experienced working with the teams for years ago. So for me, it's reassuring that things haven't <laughs> fallen apart at the developer level. For me, that's the most important one to keep track off and try to keep that momentum and, and use that momentum to really help us get out of this place, so to speak, and continue on to the, the next cycle.
2: Yeah. And to expand there a bit, and this is more of a personal note, right now it feels like, at least from an engineering standpoint, Web3 has reached like escape velocity. Like it's here to stay, even if everything gets regulated to hell, nothing works, etc. I still think the tech piece is here to stick for the next couple of decades, more or less. And I think that's what's the most important part, especially during a bear market. Because before I remember being told off by a bunch of engineering friends, ex-colleagues, like Web3 makes no sense. This thing cannot actually work, etc. So you didn't only have the end, anti- anti-crypto, and that part of the conversation, you also had this thing makes no sense from an engineering standpoint. The main difference, the, again, from a personal standpoint is I'm not having the engineering conversation anymore. Now I'm having only the first part, more or less.
0: That's a fascinating point. When people say to you, hey, the tech can't work, how do you respond to that? What do you see that's either changed or that people got wrong when they make that comment?
2: We like to use the analogy, I guess, of AI. At the end of the 90s, you had the similar thing where you had a bunch of science papers, but it wasn't, from a hardware perspective, feasible to be done. And at some point, the hardware was there, but you needed like a PhD to utilize the hardware for those types of workloads. And then things which make better ergon- ergonomy, ergonomics around the development started popping up, like Torch, etc. And then suddenly it started democratizing access to the tech itself. I mean, with the whole generative thing now with DALI and everything else, suddenly I can utilize and harness the power of AI without actually needing 12 years of linear algebra and, and a PhD and everything around that. I think the similar thing is happening here before for someone from an engineering standpoint to take Web3 for a test drive, they would need to put off not one weekend but like 10 months of worth of weekends to try it out. Now I think it's much easier if someone even comes and says, Hey, this makes no sense, and then you tell them, Okay, sure, can you tell me why? They will go for a weekend just to prove you wrong, like that makes no sense. But in that weekend of experimenting, they will actually experience the better benefits and be like, huh, this actually might make some sense.
0: One of the things that got me excited when I was first getting into the space almost two years ago, the concept that I think gets labeled with the umbrella term kind of programmable money was such an attraction, right? Coming at it with a bit of a lens of what can we actually build with a blockchain? To be transparent, Bitcoin didn't get me that excited. It was like, okay, there's an asset here. There's some value. We can like all hold it. It's deflationary. The economist in me was intrigued with that, but I got a lot more excited when I saw, oh, hey, we can actually program an application that runs atop of this blockchain thing and it can do really complex stuff, really like anything is possible. Suddenly that woke me up and I got much more excited. I started diving in further. I mean, would it be a a leap to say that that was kind of the moment you all had back in 2018 as you decided to found the company?
1: Maybe not programmable money in that general sense, but very much having the ability to leverage that, I mean, money or value or assets, whatever, and embed that directly into a program. That's something that is very exciting for us. And when I mentioned, you know, we came at it from the technological standpoint, it's what that technology allows you to do. So all of a sudden you have this new environment or a new type of software that is able to not only work in a very transparent, open, and by default interconnected, environment, but it's able to transact with value along the sides of just information. I try and think of new ways of writing software to software communication. And that's fundamentally what allowed the DeFi summer and the rise of the and the pace at which DeFi climbed to fame and climbed to some pretty remarkable numbers. That's precisely the technology allowing them to do it that quickly and in that of an open environment.
0: Maybe it would be good for people that aren't familiar with Tenderly, Bogdan, if you want to give us a quick overview of what is the platform. I think some folks maybe think about it as a debugger or a code editor, but there's actually quite a lot going on there. Take us through the major features.
2: The elevator pitch requests a bit of a longer elevator ride in a crappy elevator for it to cover it completely. But basically how we look at things depending on a part of a project's lifecycle, we have a product tool service or whichever other similar work you want to use to help Web3 engineers and product people, builders, be either faster or not needing to reinvent a bunch of things, where reinventing in Web3 can be much harder than in Web2, because by default, everything is a distributed systems problem. What Tenderly is, if we look at different parts of the project's lifecycle, we can say we help people while they're in the development phase with debugging, profiling. So what you expect from a programming environment in Web 2, port it to Web 3, and then a bunch of different additions there, because Web 3 gives you a bunch of interesting things to do when you have access to all of the data that ever existed. That's like one part to it. The second part to it is after you deploy your application to a chain, monitoring and alerting in real time. So waking you up in the middle of the night when something bad happens or making you feel happy with the, during the day when something good happens. And then finally, the third one is a bunch of infrastructure components. That's the not reinventing the wheel part. The most by far u- used feature, I guess, is simulations. So letting you test what would happen before sending a transaction on chain, which is extremely powerful. Web3 actions, which is a serverless platform. And then Web3 gateway, which I guess we're gonna talk about a bit more later on, which we just launched.
0: And so when you think about if I'm a developer coming from the world of Web 2, like across that portfolio of capabilities, like where do I start and what goes away out of my traditional dev stack? Like if I'm already familiar with JavaScript kind of generally and I want to get into Web 3, what's the entry point you'd recommend coming to Tenderly?
2: I guess it depends on how you learn things (laughs) and then depending on prior experience. uh, Most people, I guess, learn the debugger part part first. It's because goddammit, this thing isn't working. Why isn't it working? Oh, I have Tenderly to actually find out. We actually started by working on our own blockchain project and then this was initially internal tooling and then we pivoted the company completely. That's one part. And then if you want analogies from the Web2, from the olden Web2 world, the monitoring alerting part can be the datadog sentries of the world, debugging and profiling can be mostly tools that you probably expect to see in an IDE or a code editor. Only here it's specific because you cannot run the whole blockchain on your laptop. So it's like a web interface there. And then for the simulations, there's actually nothing like it in Web2, which is interesting because Web3 kind of enabled simulations to exist. Serverless platform, AWS Lambda, I guess, and Web3 Gateway also, not something that exists in Web2. You will feel at home, but also feel much more in home than in Web2 when you see all of the benefits of Web3. 3 combined with
1: the tooling. That's one of the things that we learned on the job because obviously everybody comes into the space carrying their own beforehand experience. That's one of the things that where we initially had a not, maybe not the most correct idea on, we used to have a, let's say a data dog. We would like to have a data dog in web 3. Let's build it for everybody to use. That's something that actually evolved as we spent more and more time really immersing with the scope and the effort of actually getting a successful DAP off the ground, wherein you have all of the problems from Web2, which is you know common. Any type of software development is going to be experiencing similar types of issues. But the ways in which you solve them and how effective you can be at sort of preventing some of these core issues is actually something where changing the approach and changing to a different type of tool for that job is actually what can bring the biggest impact. One example that we like to use is, you know, we started with the basic, let's do monitoring for Web3 because every software project needs monitoring, right? But in a world where a single mistake means you're wiped out, a single exploit means you're done, being alerted to that single exploit is not really something that, that's not all that you have, that you need to do in order to stay safe. And actually where we see majority of that observability and protection from like very severe consequences is actually moved earlier in the development lifecycle. That's something that we then support with the, the simulation platform. And basically we serve as the test harness for you to be as confident as possible in your smart contracts before pushing them into production. You know, everybody knows in in Web2, you can deploy stuff, move fast and break things. That's the term. Doesn't really translate well into Web3. So, you know, we've had to adapt and we had to develop some new types of solutions that really, so you can move fast without necessarily breaking things.
0: I like to say to people that the stakes are much higher, right? Like if we're we're building a web app and, you know, the worst case scenario is, oh, maybe it goes down. Right, There's rarely a scenario where outright theft is happening from a newly launched feature or, or application. Yeah. And even if it does, credit card transactions are reversible. Like, It's not good, but it's not the end of the business. Certainly in crypto, you have a failure of the smart contract. That's very likely the end of the protocol in its entirety. And we've seen that, unfortunately, play out many times this year alone. I'm curious to talk more about the simulation piece because I think this is probably one of the more technically complex areas of your platform that people may not have a good mental model around. Like I would imagine most people listening are familiar with like the Ethereum test nets. So I can I can run a transaction against Gourley or one of, one of the other test nets. But this simulation is happening locally on my machine or directly on Tenderly infrastructure. Like talk me through what that looks like
1: It's happening alongside the Tenderly infrastructure, and that allows you to do some pretty cool and interesting things. The way that you can most easily think about the simulations and the flexibility that they provide you is, in our view, it's exclusively better version of a testnet to start. So instead of having to rely on just the contracts that are deployed on a testnet with just the data that is deployed or that is executing on that testnet, it's substantially less reliable, less precise, you know, less relevant than hooking off and testing against the real thing, so the stuff in production. What our simulations uh, allow you to do is basically use that production as your testing environment and really have all of the contracts and this might not sound as uh, impressive on first glance, but actually, when you think about typical DeFi project, having to integrate with a bunch of different third party projects and all of those need to be de- deployed on the same test set, it brings the, the simple fact of being able to address all of the smart contracts, quite a bit of an issue. And then on top of that, having all of the latest data that you can work with and work against to really make sure that, you know, your new DeFi component or your new project is really behaving in a way that it should behave in a production environment. So so that's sort of the, the coolest thing about simulations. And if you think about it, if you take it to, to the web two world and taking it to the extreme, imagine you're writing a new project, new SaaS service that integrates with Facebook, Shopify, and Stripe. And imagine being able to pull in all of the production interfaces and production data into your test environment and have it completely malleable and have it completely flexible for you to test against and interact with, you know. We've spent, you know, who knows how much time working against, the, in like the web two world, working against third-party APIs. And you're sort of squinting at the code <laughs> and seeing like, okay, it it works against my test case and it works against this, uh, you know, setup environment. But does it really work in production? That's the main question. And our simulations help res- resolve all of those issues and, and help you do much more on top of that. But that's sort of the, the gist of it.
2: That's the example I, I always use. Imagine integrating Stripe by swiping your credit card and receiving the uh, text messages or notifications from your bank, like, and you are spending the money, but then you do a one click and it suddenly is every everything's back in its place. So that's always the one that I like to use. And people always think of it for the, let's call them forward-looking transactions. So what would happen if I do this now? Again, this is the benefit of Web3 having all of the data in one place. So a very cool thing that you can do, and I guess for all engineers listening to this, this sound cool imagine having a bug in production you need two weeks to develop the bug fix and it's always hard to see like if that would have prevented the bug you can actually go and change the code at that point in history to your new version without the bug and see if the bug would have happened in the first place so just because the, all of the data is there you can go to a historical point in time even before you use tenderly so you, we can say week one of the bug fix you actually figure out tenderly exists you can rewind time to two weeks back change the code and see, replay it and see how it actually would have happened. And it's like a very powerful thing with this whole world computer narrative of everybody having the same data.
0: That is so incredibly powerful. I mean, anybody who's ever heard or seen the meme joke about everything's down, well, it worked on my laptop, like it's your problem that it doesn't work in production. This is going right to the heart of that. And the reason why that's such a running joke that everyone's experienced once in their career is because it's always so hard to simulate production, right? You don't have the, the real data or you're not operating at the real scale, or you've got a bunch of like interface mocks and you encountered some weird edge case on an interface that you weren't anticipating. And you only saw it once the real world hit the new code. And I love this time sliding feature. So you can actually rewind back in time and replay a particular set of transactions that potentially encountered the edge case, which I can imagine is You know, if you've got a a very narrow set of conditions that cause a bug to occur, that could be incredibly powerful. So give us a sense of who's actually using Tenderly today. I I was pretty blown away, actually, at some of the scale numbers I've seen associated with with your user community. Like in the world of Web 2, we always had GitHub talking about, oh, there's 20 or 25 million, 30 million developers kind of globally were the numbers I've heard them reported. And those have obviously gone up, I think, in the last couple of years. But I've had the impression that there's fewer orders of magnitude, fewer developers in Web3. It's a newer technology arena. But when I saw some of your stats, I was actually like really impressed at the scale of people who are already using Tenderly.
1: Yeah, I mean that's something that our customer base, the core of what what got Tenderly to here. So from the very beginnings, we try to be very close to everybody who got exposed to Tenderly and and help them uh, sort of succeed on their front first, and then you know make the most use out of Tenderly and help do better there. Uh, but I guess us being engineers, we managed to by default navigate it towards the more technical crowd. The user base that uh, that you see you know today on our platform is you know at least what we consider is you know the very best of the industry being able to properly leverage and properly leverage tenderly to build the new generations the new iterations of, of you know dapps and and protocols at the forefront of web3 innovation uh, so that has been incredibly cool for us i mean we still we still like to think that we are early in terms of how well represented Tenderly is on the broader web3 landscape we still have a lot of work in front of us to make sure that every developer knows that they don't have to bleed to to develop smart contracts successfully i'd say you know we are very very happy and very grateful for the customer base that allowed us to basically build some of the the critical pieces of Tenderly that exist today because you know without that connection without that interaction with them by far we would have built a worse product at the end of the day
2: Developers are a very loud audience and they usually tell you what they want.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and maybe that's a great segue, Bogdan, to you just launched a big new feature. I think it it sets you up maybe in competition with with some other players in the the Web3 infrastructure space. Tell us about Web3 Gateway and what you all are doing with this new capability.
2: Tenderly itself came out of our own frustration with the tooling. Uh, Web3 Gateway uh, came out of our frustration of how hard and efficient and expensive it is to access on-chain data. As I mentioned, when we started out, or I actually didn't mention this, Tenderly had the virtual machine, which is like the runtime layer, and we re-implemented it to get all of the data. And then we worked on the storage layer as well, because it was inefficient for our use case. So what Web3 Gateway is, is around a year worth of work of us making a node as a service solution, but completely decomposing how a blockchain node works and then plugging in the tenderly runtime layer that we have been working on for the past four years, a completely custom storage layer and then giving premier access to on-chain data through the JSON-RPC right now, and then being the only end-to-end, truly end-to-end platform in this space. If you use Tenderly, suddenly you have your developer tooling completely figured out, monitoring alerting figured out, the simulations and serverless backend figured out as well, and now finally you have Node as a service figured there. It was quite emotional for us as well because we had this vision for a very long time, but it seems (laughs) that you cannot do it in two years. We needed four years to basically close that circle of having everything at Tenderleaf to be a one-stop shop. I know everybody uses this term, but technically being the only one-stop shop where you can come and get all of your needs serviced for different parts of your project.
0: This is fascinating. There's a bunch of things in there I'd love to unpack. So for people listening, like there's been two paths historically for if you wanted to get on-chain data. One is... Run your own node on the blockchain of choice. So you get an Ethereum node, you know, throw it on a server under your desk. You can connect directly to that. Or you could use a node provider, right? And there's a couple that are relatively well-known out there, but there's many providers from Blockdaemon or Quicknode or Infura is probably a popular choice, I think, in the developer world. So this would replace either of those options, right? It solves with the headache of me having to operate my own node and it's more integrated into the rest of the Tenderly tooling. Is that the primary reason why I would go away from using one of the other alternatives?
1: Yeah, so the way that we think about it, it's an old problem solved in a new way. At least, sort of that's been our pattern so far. To start, Web3 Gateway behaves and feels exactly like Node as a service offering. I mean, that's what it was intended to do for us. You know, on one part, as Bogdan mentioned, that sort of wrapped the entire developer experience story at Tenderly to give developers both, you know, the tools to write the smart contracts and then on the other side, the tools to interact with these smart contracts in any way possible. Uh, what is truly interesting and in our minds uh, unique about the Web3 Gateway is how it interfaces and integrates with all of the data and all the technology we have built at Tenderly already to provide you new ways and new methods of interacting with smart contracts in general, extracting on-chain data, and also building more complex, you know, more capable dApps without necessarily having to delve into... Sort of the networking uh, or the lower levels of interacting with smart contracts. That's one thing that is maybe sort of the the difference in approach how you would look at the traditional node as a service space versus where we are coming from. In that, with a typical node as a service, you're you're sitting at that network level. All the data that you have is what the network gives you essentially. Whereas on on our side, we first understood smart contracts very deeply and very intimately, and are now able to leverage all of that data that we that we extract to build more powerful building blocks for you to leverage. So the Web3 gateway as is. That's not the Web3 gateway that I'm interested in and that I'm excited about. Uh, what I am excited about is what we unlock by having that foundational building block off a node and how we can add on functionality on top of that and how we can add on capabilities to really bring in new innovation in sort of that right now pretty stagnant space.
0: I'm looking forward to the innovation. We're going to circle back to that question about where we see this going next in just a minute. But Bogdan, I'm, I'm curious because you also brought up that you've re-architected the data storage layer. It sounded like you've done some work in the, the EVM layer as well. Can you talk a little bit more about what's going on there and kind of how that relates to this Web3 gateway improvement? Because I've seen some interesting claims around performance that I think are translating through into the end user experience is pretty compelling here. And I, I suspect they're connected.
2: Let's go historically. So first DVM part, yeah. and then gonna come to the to to, to that part. I mentioned briefly that Tenderly started as an internal tooling project for a completely different thing that we were building, and the main problem was we cannot, we don't know why a transaction failed, and we were surprised that the JSON RPC and all of the debugging facilities cannot tell you the line of code where something failed. So re-implementing the runtime layer was us marrying a couple of things into the VM, which maybe wasn't at the time, the correct place to actually do it. But it was like, tack this together and then give to people why something failed. And people like that, and then moving on, the runtime layer is basically instrumenting the whole virtual machine to emit a bunch of data while it's actually doing a thing. Because how EVM works is you give it some input, you give it the on-chain state, and it gives you an out and how the state changed. That's basically what EVM can tell you. By the way, a bunch of innovation has been done by the client teams as well for to have some debugging facilities in the node itself. But still, the node wasn't meant for debugging. It's meant for participating at the consensus level and making sure that everything that happens, happens correctly and now we're coming to the storage layer part actually so Ethereum nodes or most blockchain nodes or almost any chain were made to be extremely efficient and good at verifying if something happened. So just verifying that something is cryptographically correct. I think nobody expected the state to grow so much. So they were never optimized for searching. They were never optimized for data retrieval. So our storage layer, even though we do all of the cryptographical things and everything else, we could get rid of two constraints. So one, we do check if something's correct, but we can also add a bunch of infrastructure on data retrieval. That's one part. The second part is we can run this with the rest of the Tenderly Suite and our own internal infrastructure, which cannot really uh, run on a laptop underneath your desk, as you mentioned, but again, can run in a very efficient way. So that storage layer, the main difference between us and maybe some other solutions is you're actually not talking to a node, you're talking to the underlying data store. And when you look at the problem that way, suddenly you don't have read consistency issues because everybody's reading from the same source of truth. Things can be much faster because we can figure out actually what everyone's doing mostly on chain. So if everybody's fetching Ethereum lock mostly, okay, we can focus on that. While the client teams again can have to focus on everything. So those are like the, as Andre mentioned, all problem, new solution type of thing. And it's funny because we say we don't want other people to reinvent the wheel, so they should use Tenderly, but we ended up reinventing so many wheels (laughs) in Tenderly so far. But I guess that's the secret sauce and what makes it fix.
0: It sounds like some amazing work, and I'm excited to see more and more. There's some great demos that we'll link to in the show notes, so people can actually go see some of this stuff in action. I was watching the launch last week, preparing for this interview, and I was like, wow, this makes so much sense. What you guys are building here is really cool. Andre, I'm, I'm curious, you know, looking to the future a little bit, there's a lot going on in the technology layer in this space. Recent guest on the podcast, a friend of mine, Nader Dabit, who's just recently joined Ave Lens as a... Devrel person we had a whole conversation about composable blockchains and so i think it takes you know layer twos to the next step in the evolution where you have application specific chains and i think celestia is one organization that's working on this the cosmos team is another one who who pretty famously is pushing this concept you know and then we're obviously doing things at the lower levels like the shift from proof of work to proof of stake that a lot of these chains are encountering how do you look across the ecosystem like what's interesting Interesting in the tech stack and some of these developments, where do you see things going? What are are you all focusing beyond products in in market today?
1: That entire shift towards the layering of blockchains, we are here for that from day one. That's uh, what gets us excited because at the end of the day, there are certain technological hurdles that blockchain needs to overcome, such as, you know, the throughput, the flexibility of blockchains for certain use cases, these types of things. Those are all items on our collective roadmap as an ecosystem. Seeing things develop in this multi-chain, multi-layer, interconnected blockchain type world is something that we feel is the right move and we're very happy for that to happen. And as far as our position is concerned there, you know, that's the future towards which we are building. I mean, we are already deeply embedded into the EVM ecosystem, so all of the networks and flavors that are running some form of of an EVM as an execution engine and Solidity as the programming interface for you to use. So we already support 20 plus of, of these types of networks. Adding in more capabilities and adding in more functionality to allow people to have the same type of ergonomics in some, let's say, faster chains, such as Polygon, as they are used to with the mainnet. That's definitely very high on our list of priorities. And we do keep pushing and and sort of shaping tenderly in a way that it does help teams that are expanding from just a single chain and and thinking more broadly and thinking bigger. We are definitely there for that and, and we'll do anything that we can to make that version of future happen as soon as possible
0: very cool question just out of curiosity like how modular is the platform like if i'm led to my vs code ide and i don't want to give uh-huh. it up can i still use the simulator can i still use web3 gateway but continue to live in my ide i know people have some strong personal preferences uh, yeah. when it comes to that layer of the tech stack
1: of course the way that we look at it and then sort of It's interweaved into the way that we see the space and that we we see the benefits of the technology. We try to be additive, not subtractive when it comes to building products. The reason why we went with this always-on, everything processed for you, everything ready for you to start using immediately is precisely because it, it takes as much work out of the developer workload and takes as many of these like tough choices out of the equation. So we don't really care what type of editor you use. We don't really care what type of framework you use. You know, We want to encourage you to use the best possible tool for the job, right? So we don't want to st- stand in the way and marry a particular approach just for our stuff to work. Because we leverage the fact that all blockchain data is publicly available and we can get that to you regardless of where you are calling us from you definitely can continue using VS code you definitely can use your favorite favorite type of framework and then you know what we do is we actually try to integrate with as many of these components so beyond just you would be able to use it in any case we try to make that experience even easier and even less intrusive as far as we can make it we we like to say that we play nice with other parts of the tooling because at the end of the day even though we provide now a pretty comprehensive suite of solutions, we will never be able to tackle all of the problems and being able to not force developers hands is pretty important. So if we can keep it that way, we'll definitely try
0: love to hear that. that's a great approach. Maybe to wrap the interview, I'm curious to hear what's in the pipeline for Tenderly. Obviously, you just had a major feature launch. So looking out over the next couple of years, and I know forecasting in this industry is super hard to do. With <laughs> three months feels like three years it's it's tough to give a one year out roadmap. We certainly suffer from that in our business. But I'd love to hear what are you thinking about most? you know what are you maybe hard at work that you can share a little preview of before we let you go?
1: Well, yeah, a couple year roadmap, that's going to be a, a tough thing to get right. But, you know, most broadly, our vision and our direction in which we are moving is taking care of that Web3 software development journey Uh, so on one hand that means making it easier for you to write smart contracts and build smart contracts so that's the tooling part of tenderly and then on the other hand help you interface with them better and help you interact with with them in as few steps as possible so that is basically what influences our long-term roadmap and what does that mean in practice for something you know (laughs) hopefully measured in quarters not years is we do have some interesting developments both on that development side of things and the infrastructural. So the infrastructural it's easier to it's easier to see and easier to paint the picture of how it might look like in a couple of months but basically we are done with the heavy lifting and we are now able to to pretty quickly move and iterate on what types of building blocks we we give these developers that they can build with. So that's going to be a pretty interesting start of next year and the pace there just continues. But on the development side which is something that slightly more challenging to execute on but on the on the other hand also very exciting is we have been thinking about how to bridge that development lifecycle even further and help sort of take all of the biggest problems that teams are currently faced with and try to provide a, a single cohesive solution that will allow them to iterate against blockchain a lot more smoothly and with a lot less stress again taking influence on some of the web2 tech of the old but then done in a pretty pretty new way because we have blockchain to to thank for and some pretty interesting capabilities that unlock for us precisely because we're in this new and interesting space
0: i'm excited to watch closely i think what you all are building is is really exciting it's absolutely necessary for the space to continue to progress so thank you both for coming on and and sharing uh the backstory on tenderly and what you all are building it's been fun
1: thanks for having pleasure thank you hey there
0: thanks for listening to another episode of public key if you enjoyed it leave me a review or better yet share on your favorite social media platform the last few weeks, my Chainalysis colleagues have been lighting up the interwebs with some great content. In case you missed it, I'll mention a few of my favorites. First, Beth Bisbee, who now leads investigations for Chainalysis, but was previously with the DEA, was featured on the Politico Tech podcast, talking about the early days of crypto crime investigations into darknet marketplaces like Silk Road and Alpha Bay. And Eric Jardine, who's the Chainalysis cybercrime research lead, collaborated with our partners at Unit21 to discuss the latest in crypto fraud trends and make some predictions for 2023. Links to the podcast and the blog are in the show notes. And for even more great content like this, don't forget to follow Chainalysis on Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, and our newly launched TikTok channel.